0: things I would encourage you to do is, uh, as you'll read articles, like for example, I just bought a couple of folders, here's one on Baby Busters, it's nothing pretty, but I am constantly clipping articles. I mean, here may be something in the newspaper, Uh, you know, I read articles, uh, you know, notes and things like this, and I just keep folders, so I'm going to share with you uh, stuff that I've learned and I've been working with other than one year. Uh, since I was in college, um, I've been working with university students, trying to understand them, and, uh, trying to know what's going on. And, uh, you know, I went to, uh, Texas A&M right out of high school, and, uh, then, uh, every year for ten years I enrolled in somebody's graduate school from the time I graduated from high school. Um. And then all of a sudden, I get out in the world and I wonder what in the world's happened. I think I missed a lot of things, a lot of things going on right around me. I know even when I was at Oklahoma University, I used to get up in the morning and have a quiet time, and go to the campus, and, and come home, and spend a little time with my family, and things were happening all around me I didn't know about. And uh, really, it, it's rather amazing. You probably, sometimes you'll read an article or something, and you say, oh, yeah, that was going on at the time, and I didn't even realize it. And so I want to just talk with you a little bit, try to let you know what's kind of happened in America and where we are, because I know some of you have kids at home and you have a hard time understanding them, or people in their culture, you're working with people, maybe on the job, and you have a hard time understanding where these kids are today. And uh, I do too, but let me just, uh, so this way, if we can just kind of take a broad approach let you know about the different groups in America and kind of what influenced them, why do they think like they are, where are they, what's it going to take to reach them. And I, I would just say this. Uh, I've been at the same campus now for 30 years. I've been through, seen a lot of stuff going on, but I tell you what, when you love people and you'll get after them, and you'll try to get them in the Word, get them having a quiet time, get them memorizing verses, it still works. Uh, I mean, it really does. And so a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about, you might say, well, some things don't work. Well, we have to change our approach. And it may be slower, and it may be a little bit different, but still, ultimately, what we're trying to do is get people walking with the Lord and get them to be multipliers. I just called back to BSU uh, this afternoon just to see, because we had another sign-up for Glenn last night. We've got 195 going. cost $335 to go but there are 195 going from our campus to spend a week. We've been doing that for 25 years. And, you know, I run into people all the time say, you can't get commitment from kids. Well, I know right now I have a team. My wife and I have 14. Monday nights they bring... I'm sorry. Uh, Guys, I've got the original, but I thought I probably had plenty. Um, If you'll later, if you'll give me your names... uh, write them down. If you didn't get one, I'll sure be glad to mail it to you. Okay? If anybody picked up two thinking you'd have a clean copy, I did that in workshops I've gone to. If there were plenty of them so I could use them later, we'll pass them around and and we'll try to help you. Okay, now, those people born in America before 1926 were uh, a lot of different groups. uh, They're called seniors. I'm not going to go a lot into that uh, but because the, they had a lot of the same characteristics of the builders. You know, most of those people, when you were born in America at that time, you just assumed that you were going to work. People grew up working. We were mostly a farm community, and even a six-year-old had a job. You know, he could gather up the eggs or something. So people grew up just working. You expected to work hard. You never expected it to be a whole lot any other way. And so the characteristic of those people that we call either seniors or builders, those born before 1926, and then the builders are those that were born from 1926 to 45. Here are some of the characteristics for those of those people. Uh, They were hard workers. Uh, They're savers. These people were most of them frugal. Uh, They were very patriotic. that's one of the reasons I had a tremendous hard time, some of them understanding what was going on during the Vietnam War and the demonstrations and things, because we grew up very patriotic. I mean, every war we'd ever participated in we'd won. I mean we were very, very pleased with what had going on. Uh, they're very loyal. These people were loyal. They were also very private. You know we didn't, uh, They didn't need discussion groups and sharing problems and things because if you had problems, you didn't want anybody outside of your family to know about it. A lot of you. Know that. I mean, Americans, most of the people were just very private. They were very respectful. Uh, they respected those in authority. They were cautious. They were dependable, stable. and Just a lot of words that characterized these people. Fact is, uh, a lot of these things you'd think are very, very biblical, and some of them are. But they were also pretty intolerant. You know, man, if somebody. Uh, uh, I mean, as far as uh, the classes of people and things like this. Um, you know, most of them live, uh, and most of those people now, they're living fairly comfortably in their retirement because they grew up saving. You know, if they didn't grow up, most of those people, with the idea that the government's going to take care of you. It's the idea that if you didn't save it, you didn't have it. And... Uh, and they were very loyal to their denomination. I mean, if you were a Baptist, you were a Baptist. You didn't mess around over to Methodist church because they had a better choir or something like that, see. And uh, that was just the way it was. You know, 1917, we went into the first war. Uh, and uh, as a result of World War One and Two, you know, during the Roaring Twenties, we had tremendous prosperity in America. I mean, things were... We'd, we'd seen our goals... Accomplished in World War One and World War Two, and as a result of it, there was tremendous sense of, of excitement in America and and uh, real prosperity. Things were were increasing as a result of it. There's over, a lot of over speculation, and then came the you know the stock market crash in 1929. As a result of it, the whole 30s was a time of great depression. You know, a lot of you know of the the dust storms, Oklahoma, the drought, you know, the millions of people that moved out of Oklahoma and places like that. You know, at one time in the height of the Depression, there were 15 million people that were unemployed in this country. You know, it's 1939 that John Steinbeck wrote his, you know, his book on the Grapes of Wrath and just what was going on as people fled Oklahoma and Texas and places like this. See, in 1900, 37% of this nation worked in agriculture, and people were raised on a farm. Now, see, that's one of the reasons we see kids today coming to school that have never worked a day in their life. I mean, they're, they're coming to university. They don't know what work is about. Because, but a kid raised on the farm learns some things. That's one of the reasons I hate to see what's happened to the American farm, because it was a tremendous place to raise kids. But now a kid being raised in the city, what can he do? Well, you can teach him to make up his bed, take out the trash, and feed his dog. And that's about the best you're going to hope for, until he's old enough to make money mowing lawns. Because who can hire him? See. And so we really have to work at teaching our kids to work. At one time, it wasn't any problem on the farm. See, it wasn't a bit of problem on the farm to teach a kid to work. But today, it is a real problem. And so that we had a rural lifestyle. by, by 1950, only 12 percent of America made their living on farms. And I, I don't know what it is now, but it's a whole lot less than that. 2%, see? And so we've seen it go from 1900 from 37% to 2% today. <clears throat> and then, so the rural lifestyle greatly changed America. The automobile changed America. All of a sudden, there's a great sense of, you know, 1903, the Ford Motor Company came into existence, and uh, that Model T had been built before that, but then came the Ford Motor Company, and And this gave us a lot of personal freedom, a lot of individualism. The radio had a real effect in America. Remember how people used to gather around the radio? Well, you wouldn't remember that, but some of us might. And then came the New Deal, you know, and the big bands, you know, the Dorsey Brothers Band, you know, Benny Goodman, Glenn Miller, all of those in the early part uh, for the builders. That's things they remember. Then came Pearl Harbor, World War II, rationing. I remember when I was a little boy, I wanted to. I wanted a metal cap gun for Christmas. There wasn't a metal cap gun to be found because uh, we used to get them. They're made out of sawdust, I guess, or something in glue. You, you drop it on the hard ground, it would just shatter into a thousand pieces. But all the war, the metals were going into war goods and you didn't buy all the sugar you wanted or all the tires or anything like that. There was rationing. And so uh, that's, that was what was going on in America. After the war, there was such a tremendous sense of expectancy. And with 6% of the world's population, we were pr- producing two-thirds of the world's goods. And we decided for this to become a consumer nation. And I mean, it did. But we took all of these great factories we have been making war goods and started turning those into just manufacturing consumer goods, and we became a consumer nation. And so as a result of it, too, with the with the, these builders, uh, See, one of the things that was important to them, family was important, school was important, church was important, and you didn't find that those were all that different. I mean, you know, many, many years ago, the school would reinforce some of the very principles that were taught at church. And all of a sudden, that is no longer true, as you know. Now, look at the areas of concern here just for some of the elders. Now, this is just, there's a book I'm going to highly recommend to you it's called Three Generations. One of the best books, if you want to find out. just uh, It's by a guy by the name of Gary McLintock. Um, And he talks about the, the builders, the busters, and the boomers. We're going to talk about all of those. And some of the notes here are from this. But he talks about all these different groups and what the church needs to do to reach all of these. Because you see, if you're in a church, a First Baptist church or First Methodist church in some city, then you have all three groups in your church. Now, there are churches, and a lot of the churches that have grown tremendously in this country have targeted one group. See, like, for example, Bill Hybels, Willow Creek in Chicago, they targeted the baby boomers. Uh, Rick Warren, uh, Saddleback Community out in California, they, they, they went after Saddleback Sam. I mean, they went after this one group of people, the, the boomers. But the problem with many of us, I mean, if you came to Oklahoma, Texas, and you're in a church that's been there in existence for a number of years, you've got you've got all of these groups in the church. And so how do you keep all those people moving in the same direction thing? And it is difficult because there's a tremendous difference in the mentality of a builder and a boomer. And we're going to talk about some of that. Here's some of the areas of the concern just quickly that he mentions if you wanted to do something with elder. The elderly in your church, one area of concern that they have is, is in finances. If you want to even reach non-Christians, and it's not impossible to reach people that are up in their 60s, 70s, and 80 years' age that are not Christians. and one, Here are some of the things that might even be done, like you can have seminars on financial planning. Some of them need help with that. Uh, housing. A lot of people have There may be areas where some of them can live together or live close by. They have problems with, like, personal safety, a workshop on just how to check your home, how to make your home safe. Half of the people that are over 65 years of age in this country have nutritional deficiency. They have the problems health-wise because they're not eating right. Transportation is a real problem for them. Once you get old enough, you can't see, you can't lose your driver's license. There are ways churches can provide trips to supermarkets, malls, physicians. Preparation for death. There's a real denial among some of those people. They don't like to talk about it. A lot of them don't even have wills and things like that. It's amazing the people that don't have a will because uh, they just want to put it off and act like if you don't think about it, it won't. if you don't think about dying, you won't ever die. And they need help with things like that. <clears throat> a lot of them need help with, uh, you know, just burial preparation, counseling. And a lot of times that will really give them peace of mind if you can help them in those areas spiritual needs, uh, things uh, uh, that can be done in groups or even where you go into homes and do things on salvation, death, forgiveness. A lot of them need help with forgiveness. Sometimes they're ostracized from their children or they have real problems with people. Nobody's ever helped them to be able to know how to forgive those people. And in leisure time, you know, I'm amazed at, and, and you probably are too, the number of retired people and what do they do with their time? You know, I, I know a, group of men, they were all happened to be in a Baptist church. And one of them told me, he said, every day of the week they played golf. Every day. I mean, if it's raining in Norman, they call Ardmore. If it's not raining in Ardmore, then they'll drive to Ardmore. And I thought, you know, I'm not against playing golf, but I wonder if any one of them ever thought, one day, why don't we pray? Let's don't drive to Ardmore today. Why don't we just spend, we normally spend three or four hours playing golf. Why don't we just take three hours today and let's pray for a church and let's pray for missionaries? See, if we could ever begin to tap the time that these people have. But see, one of the problems is if you don't fight to pray all your life, when you get to the point and you have all kinds of time, you don't have any desire to pray, right? But I believe that some of these people could really be helped, and they ought to be helped. You know, I, one of the things I do, I have a group of freshmen and I pray for, and I carry pictures of them. When they went home Christmas, I thought, You know, one thing I can do, I can pray for every one of them every day. And I had 65 of them, and I pray for every one of them every day for a month. And so I carry these with me. I have their names. It helps me to learn them. I think with older people, there there are possibilities to go to some of these people and say, here's a picture of a missionary. Would you pray for them? I had some of these students to go home, share with their parents, take a picture. So her mother puts it on the refrigerator and prays for every girl in her little discipleship group every day. Folks, we haven't even begun to think about how can we take these people that have time. They have, they're bored stiff, and, and they have time. And I believe there are ways in which we could help them to really have a ministry, get them praying. They can help with things like vacation Bible school. They can help with work around the church, you know. Why you have to always pay somebody to stuff envelopes, you know, There are a lot of things they could do. Substance abuse can be a problem with them because they're not showing up. The guy may be hitting the bottle every day, but nobody knows it. If he was going to work, somebody would have noticed it. But now he's home and he's bored. And so that can be a problem. Elderly abuse. Sometimes when maybe they're with grandkids or families, some of them aren't as good to them as they should be. And we need to learn to listen to them and things like that. But those are just some areas of concern that we have for the older generation that we have on hand. Now, how do we reach them? Well, many have very weak support systems. In other words, because we live in America, after the time of the automobile especially and things like that, people scatter all over. There, there may be a, you know elderly couple, but they've got a son in California and a daughter in Michigan or someplace like that, so there are not people around to watch them. One of the things some churches can do is set up a hotline. I mean, it doesn't cost all that much. Just a number that you can put out where they can call and they can get help for different things. Uh, There are all kinds of free brochures that have been designed for for adults just to help them how to make their home safe, help them with nutrition, help them with a lot of things, provide support groups. Forty to sixty-five percent don't get the the help they need from their families. They need someone to talk to. They need socializing. They need advice. They need something to do, as I mentioned, praying. Give them pictures of families in your church, young people. Like our youth director, when he goes on a camp or something like this before, he'll go to some of the senior adults and say, well, you take these two students and pray for them this week while they're at camp. So there are things like this that we can do to help them bring some meaning into their lives. You can use traditional things like Thanksgiving. have a dinner for the senior adults. Let them bring non-Christians. Let them bring their neighbors. But at times like Thanksgiving, Christmas, there are opportunities to hear the gospel. You can help them with social security, income tax, sponsor trips, offer classes, counseling, be a clearinghouse for help. Help them with grandparenting. I mean, there are ways if we, just like any group, if you want to reach them, find ways to begin to minister to them. And there are ways in which you can really help them. Okay, that's uh, any comment or question, anything about the the builders, we're not going to spend their primary time there, but anything you want to ask or maybe something you've known about them or uh, some suggestion or something like that, any comment? <clears throat> okay? Now, most of us don't have much of a problem as far as their mentality. Now, a lot of times, these are people, though, that in a church, um, they're pretty stable. Now, the... the the builder's idea of church was, let's support it. And we're going to see this later. But if here's a, let's say it's Sunday night, and here's a, a Christian builder's couple at home, and then here's a boomer couple, and they're debating about going to church. The builder will say, let's say uh, he says to his wife, "Hun, you think we ought to go to church tonight? And she'll say, Yeah, I think we ought to support the church. And they'll go because they're disloyal and that's just the way it is. And, and what do you hear from them? They're there every time what? The doors are open. Doors are open. See, that's the old builder cliche. They're there every time the doors are open. Now, here may be a boomer family, may be just as committed to Christ, but they discuss Sunday night, do we go to church? And she says, "Hun, you know, you've been gone quite a bit and I think we need some time with the kids. So why don't, why don't we spend time with our kids tonight? So they stay home and spend time with their kids. Well, see, the, the builder generation has a real problem with that. And see, we have erected, I know as denominations, these huge systems, a huge foreign mission board and all of these deals. And we're going to have a hard time supporting that with some of the mentality that's different with the boomers and the busters. Because we're going to see this when it comes to missions. See, the builder would give and write his check to the church to give it to foreign missions. He may not even know a missionary. When I was a kid, I never saw one. And if you were going to give, you had to give through a foreign mission board because you probably didn't know a missionary. may have never seen one. But now, their mentality is totally different. They will go on short-term mission trips. And they will give to help their buddy go to Guatemala for two weeks. But they may not support these gigantic boards that we've erected. Okay, is one right, the other wrong? Not necessarily, it's just different. But if you don't understand that, you're going to have some problems understanding it. See, I know people that have tremendous difficulty understanding the college student because they don't know what shaped him. And that's one of the things we want to talk about with each one of these, what has shaped them. Okay, now the boomers... Let's talk about them for a minute. The boomers were those that were born from 1946 to 64. And you know, America still... I mean, we were shocked what happened with the boomers. We never dreamed we were going to have kids like that. I mean, after the war came... The the soldier boys came home from the war, we knew we were going to have a few more babies. But we never dreamed of anything like that. Like General Electric, I've forgotten how many employees they had at the time. But they decided on their uh, 75th birthday of, of for their company, they were going to give five shares of stocks to each baby born to, to employees of that company. And so they had to ask some people, well, how many you think will be born? And they thought 13. So they thought, well, we've got to set you know 13 times 5, we've got to set aside those number of stocks to give away. You know how many were born on that day? 189. They had expected 13. I mean, nobody could believe what was happening in America. I mean, nobody could foresee that. Everybody was having babies. It wasn't that everybody uh, were having large families necessarily, but there's a tremendous sense of optimism. We had won the war. We came home. We started taking these plants that were producing war goods. We started making consumer products and... Everybody had babies. I mean, why not? You know? Incomes going up, everything. Well, like Los Angeles, they put on they put on one thousand school teachers every year and couldn't keep up. I mean, that we were putting kids in storefronts every place and then all of a sudden, now see, always before before that happened, the most influential thing in a child's life had always been his family. Now, I believe it still should be. But all of a sudden, we get all these herds coming up. I mean, that's when Little League and everything started. I mean, we got to deal with these kids in herds. There's no longer... I mean, there's so many of them. And all of a sudden, they began to look to their group for guidance, a lot of them more than they did their parents. And so, as a result of it, I mean, America just boomed. We had all of these babies born and and all of a sudden, and then when they started to the college, the colleges were jammed, and all, and the parents had said, "We don't want you to have it as hard as we had it." See, I, my mom and dad said that. I, my brother and I, was the first one ever from our family to ever go to college, and so uh, that's what our parents had said: "We don't want you to have it as hard as we had." Okay, we had the best of everything. I mean, there was a time that one one out of every three people in America was eating baby food. I mean, all of a sudden, we had these babies by the millions. And then the schools weren't ready for them. The colleges weren't ready for them. And it was a sense of optimism. You can go to college. And if you wanted to major in underwater basket weaving, that's fine. Just whatever you want to do, son. And then they started hitting the job market. And I mean, they couldn't get jobs. I mean, all of a sudden you got these millions of kids pouring out of college and the job market couldn't absorb them. And so they began to go back. And, you know, one lady wrote a book called The Postponed Generation. They were postponing everything, postpone marriage, postpone... You know, and she said in this book that an 18-year-old, a 28-year-old in America today has a maturity of an 18-year-old of about 40 years ago. <laughs> I mean, you know, used to, you got out of high school, you got married, started a family, and you got a job. Well, you didn't have to like it. You just worked. You know, you you go back and talk to the older people, grandparents and people. They got out of school. They got a job. They didn't worry about where it was fun or not, or where they liked it or not. You just got a job, went to work, worked the rest of your life. I mean, there was a time in which even people getting out of college, you went to work for Texaco, You worked for them for 40 years. You got your gold watch. You took care of them. They took care of you. Worked for the same company your whole life. See, that day is gone. I mean, it's really gone, isn't it? Okay? Now, so we're going to talk about, I mean, all of a sudden now, what influenced, what were the things that marked the life of the people born between 1946 and 1964? What marked their life? Well, one thing, there was tremendous changes in America in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. You know, we had the Cold War. Never before did you ever were you ever taught. I mean, when I was in school, I never got under a desk. They never taught us what to do. How many of you can remember the, the things in school? Because you never knew when, when the bomb was going to fall or something. So children grew up with a fear in a way because of the Cold War. That influenced them. TV had a tremendous impact in their life. In 1950, there were 3.9 million television sets in this country. 1969, when the man set foot on the moon, there were over 700 million people in the world saw that one event on television. I mean, by 1969, when that happened, well, by, even by 1960, there were 46 million households with televisions in them. And so as a result of it, I know when I was a kid, I never saw a television until I was was in high school. I never saw one. And when I was nine years old, I'm 60 today, when I was nine years old, a black and white television cost more than a brand new Chevrolet. In 1945, I was nine years old. And a big old black and white television, I mean that thing... Probably bigger bigger that refrigerator than the screen would, but I mean it's a huge thing. But in 1945, a black and white television cost more than a brand new Chevrolet. Well, <clears throat> but when television came, it has had a tremendous influence on the baby boomers. The fact is, it was a babysitter uh, for many of you. And so you grew up. I mean, by the time you're 18 years old, you've seen over 20,000 hours of television. You've seen over 30,000 murders by the time you're 18 years of age. 30,000 murders. So it, television had a tremendous influence. Another thing that had a great influence was just the educational, the technology. But the education especially, all of a sudden, the educational system, system became antithesis to what the church and the home was teaching. See, before that was not true. My dad always told me, my kid, you get a spanking in the school, you get another one, you get home. And really, there wasn't all that much difference. Now, at the church, they told us about Jesus, but at the school, honesty and things like that were stressed. But see, you don't find that today. <coughs> there are rare exceptions. The transistor came along, and with video games, you know, I, I spoke the other night to our students on incredible ways to waste your life. One of the first things I talked about was a computer. See, <clears throat> when the N- Nintendo came out, I mean, within the first six months, six million of them are sold. And kids grow up with this. And you know what we're finding on the college campuses today? A lot of kids are addicted. Universities are beginning to offer classes on computer addiction. Their kid, that live on a campus with 30,000 students, not know anybody up and down his hall, and will always be talking to some kid in Michigan or some other place over the Internet. The average student at Dartmouth University gets 30 emails a day. See, I find now, I get home, I ask Sandra, you check the mail. Well, it's no longer just the mailbox. It's that <laughs> stupid computer, the email. See? And so... Television has had a phenomenal influence. The values. You know, it was, uh, what was 1949, when the movie Gone with the Wind came out? And you remember the one bad word in that? And I remember the whole nation was shocked that somebody would use that word. Uh, it happened to be the word damn. First time a cuss word had been used in a movie. And I mean, the nation was shocked. Well, have you seen a movie lately? I mean, even a PG or PG-13 or something? I mean, it's unbelievable what's happened. Now, the values, this group of boomers, your values were tremendously shaped as a result of television. The civil rights movement had an influence. Uh, The marches, the speeches, uh, the assassinations... You know, you ask nearly any baby boomer, where were you on November 22nd, 1963? People can tell you. They know where, exactly where they were when Kennedy was assassinated. See, up until that time, I mean, everything, they had not taken any hard blows. They had the best baby food, the best toys. You walk in any child's room today that's two years old, and there's more toys in that room than I saw my entire life until I was 18 years old as far as owning personally. Right? Is that a grandpa talking? Yep. See? I mean toys and all that. So they've had the best of everything. Best food, best diapers, best, you name know, best health care, best of everything. And they hadn't taken a hard blow, most of them, until that happened. And all of a sudden, they begin to see, well, our idealism isn't always working out like we want. Vietnam... See, some of the older uh, people had a hard time understanding why the protest and all this stuff with Vietnam. Uh, Kent State, you know, the four students that were killed, you know, the energy crisis had an impact on the baby boomers. Because always before, it just seemed like there's an unlimited supply of everything, and all of a sudden you begin to realize there's not an unlimited supply of everything. There are limits to our resources. Watergate. Things like this begin to to help us to... uh, Huh? Yeah. But things like that begin to see, hey, maybe, maybe that even our government that we'd looked up to, we we may not can trust as well as we once did. All of these things influence you. Now, maybe you are in a very conservative home and some things you, you may not have been influenced as much. But let me tell you, everybody that's born in America has been influenced as a result of the culture around them. And so these are some of the things that shape the boomers. It's interesting. Look at the statement on the bottom of your page in this book, Gary McCann. It says that the baby boomers, they have used the church primarily for hatching, matching, patching, and dispatching. That is a hatching for baby dedications, matching, weddings, patching, counseling, and dispatching funerals. Now, Anytime you use a generalization, and like he says, we're talking about probably 75% of the people, you're going to find you're going to find boomers that are somewhat like, you know, the builders before. So anytime you say this, you're, you're, you have to talk in generalizations. But it, there's enough of generalization to see that it is a pattern. Okay, what are some of the characteristics? This is not on your sheet. If you want to jot down any of these things, uh, what are some of the characteristics of the boomers. We talked about some of the things in them, but what are some of their characteristics? One, they're an educated bunch. Never before we had so many people going to college. About one out of two people in America uh, at least started college. One-fourth have college degrees. And so they're the most educated group of any uh, generation. As I said, they were raised on television, which in which greatly shaped their values. Uh, also, the independence and the, uh, really affected them because no, you know, you're no longer living real close to home. You know, when I was a kid, if I did something, I mean, you were very careful what you did in the neighborhood because everybody knew you. And, man, you did something over here, and it may be, but the word would get back to mom and dad. And so you had a system in a little rural community uh, of safety. But now, kids, so many of the of the boomers, when they got ready to go to college, they went off to college. They moved away from home. Therefore, people don't know you. The Some of the restraints, and see, sin always has to be restrained. You know, that's why we have laws and things. They got away from a lot of the restraints. So as a result of it, a lot of things happened. A lot of you were in the military. You know that. You know what happens when you get a bunch of guys in Germany and they're away from mom and dad, and they're away from church, and they're away from people that know them. A lot of immorality and that type of thing. That's why the military has always been a hard uh, place on people's morals. Uh, this group is very fitness conscious. Uh, they were tremendously influenced by rock music. They still like music with a beat, most of them. They're activists. they the boomers wanted to make a difference. They tried. They tried to do it within the structure. When they couldn't do it within the structure, a lot of times they tried to do it outside the structure. They're very uh, quality conscious. They want the best of everything. They have a a questioning of authority. And those are some of the things that characterize them. And then you see on your sheet, their interpersonal relationships are very weak. Over 50%. Over 50% of the baby boomers' marriages end in divorce. Now, it's not as high for the whole nation, but I'm talking about in that group, over one out of two end in divorce. Now, like for today. Now, we'll talk about the busters. That's a group that comes later, like that are on the college campus today. But when you ask a college student through a survey that's been made, how many of you want to be married someday? 99% of them want to be married someday. But when you ask them, how many of you think your marriage will work out? And 75% of them said, I don't, I don't think mine will. Now, they're very interested in interpersonal relationships. Something that's very important to them is relationships, but they're very ill-equipped to build relationships. The dating situation is, is very frustrating, especially to some of the girls. The guy began to move in looks like he's really interested. And then when she begins to get in and talk marriage, I mean, he, he backs off. And there's a lot of that going on because they're afraid. They're not good at interpersonal relationships, although they say that's what they want. <clears throat> now they resist joining organizations. They relate to their the church differently than their parents. As I said, you know, I know there are people that did, if they were Baptist, you know, the day could come where pastor could get up and read a nursery rhyme, but they're still going to come to that Baptist church because they're Baptist. See, and. Uh, <clears throat> I remember when I was in college, the very first Sunday, Texas AM or someplace like that, First Baptist Church, you give an invitation, kids line up all across the front joining. Now a kid will come, be in church, perhaps every Sunday he's in town for four years and never join. They're just not, this group doesn't tend to be joiners, and that's hard for the builders, the older generation to understand. Why don't you come on and get with it? Well, they're, they're very skeptical. Of joining. Uh, they've had a lot of hurts in life. Mom was working away from home. Dad, they a lot of times there's some scars there. They don't trust adults. You know, we used to win a lot of people to the Lord going door to door, knocking on doors said, oh you, rarely does that happen now. If we're going to win people to the Lord, it's over a student living there on the floor, leading Bible studies, cultivating them over a period of time. I'm not saying that you never witness. you never went in by the Lord that way. But it doesn't happen like it once did because there's not the trust level. You, did you ever hear the phrase don't trust anyone over 30? See, that's what the boomers were saying. They didn't trust the older people. And, uh, and a lot of the people they most trusted in life, mom and dad, then they have a real problem now because mom and dad split up or dad you know, div- you know, divorced her mom or something. So there are a lot of hurts there. You know, it's hard for for you to perhaps understand sometime in trying to get a person to have a quiet time. You need to know sometime what's going on in his mind. For example, one day a kid walks into my office and he says, Max, I I need to get off a ministry team. I said, why? He said, well, you know, I'm in engineering and I'm, I'm really busy. And I said, you've been busy ever since I've known you. What's the real reason? And he said, well... He said, I guess I've been in a low-grade depression for two years. And we keep somebody on our staff all the time now that's trained in biblical counseling because we're running into so many kids with deeper problems. So we go in we talk to him. And as he begins to talk to the student, he begins to ask him some questions and find out that when he was conceived, his mom and dad were not married. And so now, let's suppose I'm speaking on a quiet time and I say now, What I want you to do is you scatter around and you get your Bible over here and go over here and just spend 30 minutes alone with the Lord. Now let me tell you how he thought. He thought if God had had his way, I would never have been born. Because he knew enough about the Bible to know that premarital sex was wrong and he knew that was the way he was conceived. So in his mind, he thinks if God had had his way, I wouldn't even have been born. Now, let me tell you, you go over here and spend 30 minutes with somebody that wishes you hadn't have been born. I mean, isn't that a lot of fun? Now, see, we had to help him to see. What, what your parents did was wrong, but you're not an accident. God created you, and God loves you. So he had to help him to take one verse of Scripture a day and just meditate over a period of time on how God loved him. And we saw him really come out of that. But you see, so many times we get up and think... Have a quiet time. You better find out his concept of God. Because a lot of times, that's why he doesn't take to it. See, it's kind of like you got two... Let's suppose we have have two valves coming into this big tank of water. Now, one is over here is, is the valve we'll call truth. And see, you can have him in a Bible study, and he knows God. I mean, he knows the facts. Yeah, God loves him. You know, the Bible's true. He knows all these facts, but on the other side, he's got this emotional valve over here and at a feeling level, he doesn't feel like God loves him. And then see, we're trying to get him to trust God. Okay? When he was four, Dad left him. And so he thinks in his mind, you know, if I really got in a tight spot, God probably wouldn't be here for me. Dad wouldn't. Now, See, if you can understand, and a lot of times I think for those of us as we get older, it's important that you understand because a lot of times you can be hard on kids wanting them to shape up and you don't know what they're thinking. But if you open both of these valves, now here's a truth coming in over here. He's in Bible studies here and God loves him. But at a feeling level over here, it is emotions. He doesn't believe it. And you have both those valves. You know what it's like in that center of that tank? It's very turbulent. And this valve over here is going to have to be shut off and we're going to have to help him to reflect and believe what God said regardless of what he feels. That's what we have to do about salvation, right? About assurance. You don't trust your feelings. Well, we're going to have to help them and sometimes to see what their concept of God is because a lot of times you can can preach to him until you're blue in the face about a quiet time. But if he's got this feeling over here about God that you don't know about, and we're finding that with so many students because they've been, maybe they've been abused, they've been forsaken, they've been beaten around in different things. And as a result of it, they don't really trust God. And see, I come, I had a, a good father, a good mother, a good home. I didn't have a problem with trust of God. But you got these kids coming out of divorced homes, and when you think one out of two of them on the campus today is from a divorced home, and then think of all the homes that some of them came from. And maybe some of you right here have even struggled with it. Why do you you'd rather do anything than go spend time with God? And see, I see, when I was in college, and I don't mean that, that that I was all that spiritual, I'm just telling you a fact, as I began to grow in the Lord, and when I had a Friday night off, I'd think about getting alone with the Lord. And I did that sign. I'd make a date with the Lord, I'd make an appointment with the Lord, I'd go read the Bible and pray. You know. I told some of our students the other day, I said, you're the part this bunch I've ever seen in my life. Because when Friday night comes, they never think of going to spend time in the Word. Now, I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about kids that are trying to have ministry. What do they do? They go hang out together. I don't mean they're doing anything bad. They're not cussing. They're not drinking. I mean, these are Christian kids. But a lot of them, because they didn't have the family life, their friends or their, or their own home. You, you, you think you, you can't understand, you can't understand gangs. Well, you could if you knew what a lot of their home life is like. They don't have a family. Those friends are proud how to do it, okay? But if I understand this kid is struggling because of his dad, and a lot of times now, see, I, I think there was an early time years ago when I marked people off, I thought, oh, he just doesn't mean business. I didn't know how it affected you if your dad was an alcoholic. And so here's some kid and he comes around BSU you and he doesn't take to it. And I just think, oh, he doesn't mean business. And I don't think that was a problem. Say so a girl comes in one day and we're having this discipleship thing. She's in one of the groups and I don't care how much you slow it down. She can't keep up because discipline is totally foreign to her. And one day I asked her, I said, tell me about your relationship with your dad. And I mean the damn broke. He'd been sleeping with her since she's eight years old. Okay? Now, you can put her in all the discipleship groups you want to. But until she begins to deal with that and gets some help, she's not going to memorize verses. Does that make sense? And so I just say that some people that I think we've left by the side, we think they didn't mean business, there's a blockage there. And, somebody, and I'm finding we've got to be better equipped than we were in the past. When I first came to the University of Oklahoma, you could give a kid a little bit of vision, a little bit of knowledge. I mean, you'd get him memorized in version quiet time, take him to the Glen or take him to trip to, and he was off to the races. It's not that easy anymore. A lot of them, there's, there's, there's things like this, and I'm having to learn. I mean, it's stretching me. I've never worked as hard in my life to try to keep up and understand and work at trying to help these kids because my goal has never changed. I want to see him walking with Jesus Christ the rest of his life and reproducing in the lives of others. That's where I want to go. But I tell you, it's 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 a slower process. Yeah. I mean, what you're I just did a discipleship weekend with with mm-hmm. ten high school uh, sophomores, mm-hmm. church kids. Eight out of ten mm-hmm. from broken homes. Yeah. Last fall or two years ago, my wife and I started working. We took our leadership on a <clears throat> on a group, uh, a retreat one weekend. So she and I riding along in a car with three in our car and they began to talk about when divorce happened in the family, all three of them from a divorced family. And so there's a lot of hurt. We're beginning to reap what's happened in our culture. Now, folks, I'm not discouraged. Don't misunderstand that I'm saying, let's get away from this. I'm, I, I'm more geared on that because let me tell you, what they need now they need it more than they ever needed. Uh But a lot of them need reparenting almost. Uh, and that's where a lot of you that maybe thought, well, you're not that well equipped to disciple people. Let me tell you. You can have them in your home. You can be around them. You can love them. Now, another thing, and we'll talk about this later, but you know who the busters, that is those born after 1964, those who born from 65 on, You know who they most respect in this culture? It's the builders. It's not the boomers. They respect the older people. You know, now they don't have heroes. They don't have a given music. They like a little all of it. You know, they haven't yet figured out exactly who they are. But you know, when the survey was taken, who do you most respect? Only one person got 8%, and that was Ronald Reagan. But he was a builder, see, And so, basically, they have a tremendous respect in a way that the boomers didn't. They respect, they are more, this new group is going to be more like, even in their values, they're more like the builders than the boomers were. Because a lot of them, they've missed their family, and what a lot of them say, I'm not going to give my life to a job. I want, what's most important to me is family. So it's really interesting. Because a lot of them, we had this boomer generation, and they went after climbing the corporate ladder, let's go for it, work, both of us work from home, leave a little kid at home, uh, leave him in a nursery, something like that. And they said, that's not what we want. I don't want the kind of family that I grew up in. And they're not willing to work as much. Now, some of you that are out in the job market, let me tell you, you're going to have to change in some of your expectations. Because some of the people that are working the 20, those that are in their 20s, frustrating to death. Maybe you think, see, you've always thought be there at eight o'clock. Well, he may be there at eight, but he may be there at eight thirty, and he may want to get off at noon on Friday and go play golf. And you say, well, you don't do that at our company. Well, you may find out because your company's going to have change because there's more and more. They're you know they're they're not as many of the of the busters as they were boomers, and like one guy he was so frustrated, and I was reading this secular book and where he said this here's this girl she frustrates me to death she wants to know why. See so used to if you were a builder you went to work for this company you didn't ask questions. I mean he said go out here and do this you did it you didn't want to know why you didn't expect. Texaco to ask you any questions about how they ought to run things when you first went on a job. That's not true of the kids today. And he said, Every time I tell her to do something, she asks why. Now she's not rebellious. She just wants to know why. It's not a why rebellion, they want to know why. And he said, Well, why don't you fire her? She's so frustrating. He said, Because I can't do without her. She knows how to run that computer like you wouldn't believe. Now see, they're more technological smart. They know things like, for example, if I wanted to find out something in my uh, day about Japan, suppose I wanted to know one thing about, uh, I'm going to Osaka, Japan, and I want to know something. So what I would tend to do is go to the library or go to the encyclopedia and, and, and pull out a book and read about Japan. I may or may not find out what I want to know. You know what a kid would do today? He'd get on his worldwide net, and he'd contact some kid in Osaka, and he'd get an answered his question like that. See the way they access information is different. Do you know, guys? This conference is tremendously different than it would have been 20 years ago. I don't know if you realize that. But we have we have a Bible study in small groups. We have prayer in small groups. Now, when we first started going to Glen 25 years ago, we'd have 15 messages in four or five days. I mean, we did. <clears throat> I mean, we get Leroy Imes and all these people. And now we're going next week. I just called back. As of today, there are 197 signed up. And we're planning to go for two weeks to Glen Erie. I think we'll be there five days. I think we hear seven messages. Well, why? Well, because kids don't process the same thing. They don't want the lectures. They're visual learners. You know the way kids process information today? You get up and tell them something, then they want to get in a small group and talk about it. You know, it's a little bit like it was in the New Testament. (laughs) You know, we in Western mind, I used to read Acts 16, 30, and 31. I didn't understand that. You know, the Philippian jailer, You remember what Paul and Silas said to him? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I shall be saved and thy house. I used to use that in witness, and I always just wanted to do away with, and thy house. I mean, what's the deal here? This guy says, that means the whole house say no, but see, when a man led the family, if he became a Christian, they became a Christian. Kind of like certain place in Africa, go in and preach the gospel, and the chieftains say, we will talk about it. They get over here and talk about it, they come back, we will become Christians. It's a little bit like a, a group thing, that's still an individual decision, and it has to be for a man to become Christian. But students process information different. They don't like lectures. I mean, they don't, so we're going to, we're evaluating the glance. And they say, uh, we say, who do you want to speak? You want Leroy? And they said, no, we won't leave. You all Lawrence said, No, he, want you, know you won't, no. Who do you want to hear? We want to hear you. We want to hear Dave Edwards. I say, guys. I mean, I mean, they don't care Leroy preaches all over the world. They don't know Leroy. They know me. They're relational oriented. Now that just blew my mind. When we first started going to Glenfield, you would ask guys, you want, to have, you want to take two hours a day to sit over here in group? And they say, share our ignorance? Good grief? No. Let's hear Leroy. <laughs> but they don't want to do that now. It's different. Is it wrong? Not necessarily. But they're very relational. And that's the way they process truth. They want to hear it. They won't think about it. They won't talk about their buddies. And then they just may do it. Is that? But that's different. See, they don't like lectures. And everything's supposed to be fun nowadays. I don't know if you know that with the busters. I mean, they won't fund professors, find everything, and their attention span is very short. Do you know the difference between the first Rocky film and the second Rocky film? Did any of you ever read that? How many more blows you know, after they did the first Rocky film, I read one time. I don't remember the statistics. But how many more time? how much it was speeded up in the second movie? You know, Raiders of the Lost Art and things like that. You can't believe just the... I mean, it has to be, you know, it has to be exciting if you're going to keep their attention. And so they don't like 55-minute lectures. Okay? Now, I'm jumping around, but... Okay, we said they're, they resist joining. They are skeptical of authority. They want immediate gratification. <clears throat> See, you don't want to climb the ladder and wait to someday to get the rewards. They want it now. I don't want to wait 20 years before I can go golf. I mean, I may not feel like it when I'm 80. <laughs> I mean, why can't I take off Friday afternoon at 3 and go golf? See? So it's just a different mindset. They need to be treated as individuals. They want more materially, socially, psychologically. Now this was the first generation that didn't have to be concerned about economic survival. Does that help you understand our president and vice president? And I don't mean this correctly, but I'm not sure he could balance his own checkbook. Yeah, and I don't mean that. Ugly, I just mean it's a matter... See, for the first time in our history, we've got a baby we boomers in the office. And we've always had it all. Why can't we have it all now? You know? It's a whole different mentality. Okay, uh, you can look on down through there. Uh, <clears throat> the builders were denominationalists. It's interesting today. You know, people change denomination, and change churches. Like, the label on the door doesn't mean anything. Like my dad, for example, he was, he was a Chevrolet man. My uncle was a Ford man. I remember when they used to get at reunions and they'd talk. He'd say, oh, your old Chevy still functioning, you know? And they'd kid each other because they're loyal. My dad wouldn't drive Ford. I mean, if you drive Ford, you're disloyal. And there's that mentality. Didn't make any difference how many sales in the grocery store they ever had. My dad was a builder. He built his grocerman's house. He'd buy his groceries there. Tomatoes 10 cents more. Didn't bother him. He's gonna buy them there. Loyalty. I mean, you, you know, you remember you don't care where it's a Honda. You may have a Honda and a Buick sitting in your drive. Next time you may get a, a Oldsmobile and a Chevrolet. So you couldn't care less. Names, loyalties don't, don't mean anything. Names don't mean anything. And people swap churches and denominations. See, maybe this they hear, well, this church has great nursery facilities. So I've been, you grew up a Baptist, but they got now I'm married, and a lot of people, the baby bust boomers, are beginning to return to church. But a lot of times, it's not to the denomination they grew up in. And one of the reasons is they didn't like what they little they had when they were a kid. And so they may go to another. So they may go over here to the Methodist Church because they got a good nursery. And then when the kids get up and start playing ball, they say, Oh, Presbyterians over here, they got a great summer program, so we go over there. And then the wife will sing the choir. Oh man, down here at this church, they got a great choir, so they go over there. Now you know what? They're doing marriages somewhat the same way. I mean, now here's this cute thing, and when you're in the fraternity and she's in the sorority and she's cute as she can be and you're going to go out here in the world she's really a cutie so you marry her but then she begins to get a drag over a period of time and she's not very helpful to you in your career but here's another woman that would be fine well you marry her and then maybe you live with her a few years and then the day comes in which you're a little older and you need some help so you marry somebody that can take care of you i mean that's happening in in our in our culture too and see because loyalties don't mean anything Now, that's sad. Another thing, if you want to reach boomers, dress informally. Well, there used to be a time in our Vespers, you came in, people I mean, when they were you go if you're going to MC, you dressed up, you look sharp. One of the worst things you can do today if you want to reach them, because they're informal. They view themselves as problem solvers. They will not minister just out of a sense of duty. See the old builder, he would go to church. If he knew, he wasn't going to get anything out of it to support it. Most of the busters will not do it. The boomers will not do that. They're too busy for that. Now remember that many of them, both the husband and wife work, as a result of that, house cleaning, grocery shopping, all of that has to be done on the second shift. They are not going to give the time and activity, church-wise, that a lot of the builders would give. A lot of them have children, too. And so, therefore, they don't want to be away from them all that much. Okay. <clears throat> High tolerance for contradictions. This is amazing. See, used to, if fidelity is right, infidelity is wrong. You know? I mean, that's where I grew up. Not with them. Not with most of the boomers. It's the whole idea that they will hold two contradictory views. Like I say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They say, that's right. But they say, I believe in Mohammed. I'm of the Islam faith. And we're both right. You believe Jesus is the Son of God for you, I'm real happy for you. So He's the Son of God for you. But I believe in the Islamic faith, and that's right for me. Now see, we always thought something was either true or false, but they will hold contradictions. And if you don't understand that, I mean, you have a hard time understanding. Like, they will say, I believe in this. You believe in the authority of the Bible? Yep. But then they'll have very liberal views about abortion, about marriage and divorce, and a lot of things like that. But see, they they feel like, well, yeah, I believe the Bible, but I also believe this. And that's hard for people that that don't understand that. Now, let me just say a word about, well, here's some things about reaching the boomers, Highlight purpose and vision. Plan the celebrative worship service. Stress quality. Streamline your structure. Uh, And then, uh, let's... Anyway, you can look down through there. Now, the busters. I want to say a word just briefly about the busters. Now, What time are we supposed to be through? Huh? We still got to have... Okay. Let's look at the Busters. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, the Busters. Uh, you see what the heading there for the Busters? Um, these are the people born after 1964. Now, the kids that are about 14 and below, we don't know a lot about them as far as a lot being written. They're called the Blasters. And we don't know how they're going to turn out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, but the X-Generation, uh, right... There's a book here. In fact, as I brought along, the soul of a new generation. They're called the X generation, uh, uh, the thirteenth generation. A lot of they have a lot of different names, but that's who we're talking about. The right, the busters. Now, really, the busters is a misnomer. The only reason they're termed busters is because the boomers. There were so many babies. There's still a lot out of them. But it was kind of a bust compared to that 18 years from 46 to 64. Uh, but notice that that's 27% of the, of the population in the United States. is still a very significant group. And they're divided into three groups. Uh, the, here just, you know, there's a little difference in, in the different groups, even within the busters. Uh, the homogeneity is gone. In other words, now we've had a lot of immigrants to come. We're seeing more racism in some ways. And perhaps we've seen, uh, because there's different, you know, the, uh, because at one time America was known as a melting pot, and now we're seeing more segments. Uh, you know, like even in Vietnam, here's a group in this city, and, you know, we, we have all of these different churches now, Chinese churches, Vietnamese churches, and all this, because it doesn't seem that they're mixing in some ways. There may be as far as marriage in some ways, but you also want to see a separateness. Now another thing, you're earning their loyalty and that never ends. See, this is one thing I've seen with students. It's not a matter that with these people that I've earned their loyalty. I'm constantly earning it. You know, you may think you've got their heart, but you've got to work at it again next week and work at it again the next week. See, used to, you just, it seemed like you could talk to a guy and if he would buy into where you're headed, he's with you. But now it's, it's taking longer. And you're constantly working at getting his loyalty. Do they value or expect loyalty from others? <clears throat> yes, I think so. And see, they haven't had that. That's why they're leery of it. Because a lot of times they didn't get that from their parents and other people. So they expect you to be loyal to them, yes. but their loyalty to you is Right. That's exactly <laughs> right. And see, like, for example... The other day, a boy comes in, and uh, he had signed up to go to the Glen, and he decided he wouldn't, so I went over Wednesday afternoon. I went over to see him, and I think the thing that blows them away is that I know their names. Now, see, the thing they don't know about it is I work it. You know, I go in one night, and I take a picture of that, and then I find out what their names are. What, what do I do them? Anyway, here they are, and I've got a picture of every teen, and I know what every kid's name is because i got somebody to help me with that, and then the people that weren't there, I write them down here. So I pray for them. So I know their names. And I went over Wednesday. And these two boys weren't going. And I said, guys, I want to explain to you what I think it'll mean to you and why and why I think you ought to go instead of going on a trip that you two guys are thinking about. Now, I respect you. I'm going to explain it to you. But it's your decision. If I had to make a decision for you, I'd make it, but I can't. And I respect you. I said, God, you know... Do you know that God will let a man go to hell before he'll make him become a Christian? That's a pretty serious thought, isn't it? So I don't intend to do, get into something here doing something God did not do. And so, I'm going to explain it to you but it's your decision. And I respect you. And I'm going to explain it to you. If you don't want to go, that's your decision. I won't bug you about it anymore. Well, I think the fact that you respect them and you go after them and they know I care about them makes a lot of difference. Because I think a lot of times they didn't even feel like their parents cared that much. And one of them said, he said, You know, you know, we were just talking about that. He said, You know the thing that amazes us is that you know our names. And we come back a second time and you know our names, well, that's hard work for me. And it's not altogether true. But he didn't know that, you know, I pray for him, and that's one of the reasons I know his name. So you have to work at that, okay? recruit them in, in, in the area of uh, okay there's not much of a sense of ownership for their lives you know one of the things they're piercing everything I don't know if you read about this they're tattooing I was over in the dorm the other night this guy his shirt on, he's got a big ring right here and you'd be surprised at other places they have rings in a restaurant the other night a guy's got it in his tongue and so one of the reasons why do they do that kind of stuff to their body? Some of them feel like the only thing I have control over is my own body. I mean, you boomers messed up the world. You left us all this pollution. And I mean, that's really the way they see it a lot of times. We came into a world that's all messed up. You know, you polluted things. We got pollution. We got oil spills. We got all this. And I don't have any control. I can't control anything. But all I can control is my own body. So if I want to put a ring in it, I'm going to do it. I say so you might think, that doesn't make much sense to us, but I'm talking about, and that's why bulimia is a real problem, anorexia. I mean, you go into sororities on the campus, and one out of four girls are having problems with anorexia. I mean, it's a problem that I never heard of when I first came to OU. I mean, I guess there's a homosexual on the campus, but I didn't know any. And I know one year I knew five that would coming into our freshman meeting. I mean, they're just, you know, there are all kinds of things out there. And and a lot of times it's a matter of I can't control anything, but I can control my own body. I'm going to do what I want to with it, and you're not going to tell me what to do. And that's your your attitude. Leisure is no longer a privilege, it's a right. You know, you used to work so then you could play. They say, why do it that way? Why don't we just play something now? And that's kind of their their spirit. And one of the things you want to do, and I'm having to learn this, my wife helped me with that, just raising kids. Be, be a fun person, you know? We don't have to be so serious. I remember one time I went up to speak years ago, about 35 years ago, to a group of people in Oklahoma City. I was getting some time with Gene Warren the next day. Gene said, uh, this guy said to him afterwards, Gene asked him, he said, Well, what did you think about Max Barnett? And he said, Oh, I thought what he said was fine, but after having been around him an evening, I think if I wasn't a Christian, I wouldn't want to be one. And I <clears> thought, <throat> <laughs> I said, Gene, what did I do? What did I say wrong? He said, What you said is fine, but you were just so intense. <clears throat> he said, What do you do to relax? I said, I read books. I like to read. He said, What do you read? Read Christian books. He said, Boy, you really get away from it, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> he said, You know what you need to do every day you live? Go take a walk and watch the wind blow the leaves. You need to get a hobby or something. Well, see, I've had to learn that. They like to be around and, and I can have fun with them. I don't mean I go play basketball and do all that thing with them, but they ought to know when you're around, you're glad to see them and you're happy and you're delighted when you see one of them? And just that that there's a sense in your life of, hey, see, if you love them, they know it. And they will know that. They're very loose organizationally. Um, they have short attention spans. They want up-to-date options. They want a faith that meets their needs. They're not so interested in the expository sermons. Now, this was a shock to me because I thought the only way to preach is good preachers the expository sermons, or as you do the reading of the, for the boomers and people, that's not necessarily what they want. They want to know how do you deal with stress? How do you make your marriage better? How do you help your kids? See, And I'm not saying it. we don't use the word, but I'm just saying that's a little bit different. Now, way to reach busters. We need some updated worship services. We need to challenge them to short-term ministry. And let me say this to a buster. I have never seen a greater interest in missions than I'm seeing today. If you will challenge them... Now, first, their mentality is not foreign missions out there let's do something where we are. They're more of a hands-on sort of people. They want to work at the soup kitchen rather than give $15 to go to Thailand or something. But if you will expose them to short-term mission trips and things, I mean, they will do it. We started one year and had uh, nine to go to Korea, and then I think we had uh, Phil. You went to South Korea. You in the first group. Then we had a group. We had 19 to go to Thailand. Next year we had 13 in Kazakhstan. This year we've got about 10 going to Cambodia. I mean, it's amazing. I've never seen such an interest in missions. They will respond, because their, their primary thing is not just to get some of the things maybe their parents did. Go for the money. Now, I'm not saying money doesn't interest them, but that is, not, that is not the driving force of their life. They want a good family. They want to do something significant. And so we're seeing this, and I know a lot of the campuses are seeing this, tremendous interest in missions if you expose them to some of the things where they can make a difference. <clears throat> do more discipling through small groups. You know, we like to take 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, the things you heard of me among many witnesses, you know, is always a man-to-man verse. It's not necessarily. See? In that verse, if you see what the verse says, the things you heard of me among many witnesses. And they like to do some things small group. I still meet man-to-man with my team every week, but we also do some things in groups. And they're very relational. They like to do things together in groups. Answer questions. They have a lot of questions and they, they want to know and don't feel threatened. You know, they may just look at you and say, what? Why, are you, why have you and Sandra been married for 30 years? Or 32 or whatever? See, they, they ask questions. They want to know things. And they're not being nosy. They just want to know. Play down titles. Use first names. Eliminate churchy-sounding words like foyer, vestibule, sanctuary. Use platform, auditorium, lobby. Provide excellent child care facilities. See, they they have a real interest in family. And so good child care is important. Explain everything you do so unchurch busters know what's going on. Use music like they listen to in their cars and homes. Now, this is hard for some of you. It's hard on Bill Gothard in some people, but it is.
1: <laughs>
0: they like music with a beat. They just do. It's not necessarily that it's wrong, but it, I'm just telling you that they like different music. You know, they call the kind of music we like elevator music. They don't, they don't, they don't particularly like that. I think they still need to know some of the hymns and things like that, but they, they are more participatory. They want action. They want to clap. And, and they, want, they want some emotion. They want some feeling to it. So, Matt, how does a church that has all three of these groups address that? Okay, we're going to talk about that the last thing. Okay. And what time are we supposed to be out? 5.50. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm sorry, I looked earlier, but I just forgot. All right, we're going to look at that. How do you blend that? Because there is a way. And I'm in a church right now. And, and if you're in a church it has been in existence, for a number of years, you've got all three in it. See, so it's like even Willow Creek. It started out to reach the boomers. You know what Bill Hybels found? And they were doing the drama and things. They found out the busters don't like drama. They don't like the kind of drama they had. So he brings in Zider, a guy who started the Baby Buster Church, now and his staff because they realized as they were trying to reach the, 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 the busters, they didn't like Willow Creek. Isn't that amazing? And so, you, you've got to make some adjustments and there are ways in which I think it can be done. <clears throat> okay. Keep things relaxed. Be positive. Help them to see the joy in serving Christ. Use a response card. Don't ask them to walk forward to raise their hands. They're already scared of church. Now, a lot of times we think, well, if you really mean business, you will. Well, not necessarily. They can put on a response card. You can talk to them. They're very leery. They don't like also... To be recognized. Oh, we're glad you're here. If you're a visitor, will you stand up? Or even where they sit down and everybody else stands up. I mean, you ought to be very smart to figure that's just a reverse. Same deal. A little different flavor. But it's okay to recognize them as a group, but they don't like to be pointed out. A lot of times they're trying to see. I don't know if I want to be a part of this or not. And that's what they found with the busters. Bill Hypo says you can. a lot of times those people come in and we've trained our... Our ushers. If a person comes in and when he walks by, he's kind of got his eyes down. He doesn't want you to necessarily even speak to him. He's a seeker. He's gonna sit there and listen, and he doesn't want people bothering him and bugging him and cards and all that. He just wants to sit there and listen. He doesn't know if this is for him or not, and he doesn't want somebody making a big show. oh. We're so glad you're here this Sunday. See? Now in the South, there are people that grew up here, and and they, you know, they think you're not friendly if you don't. Maybe do that. And so, you know, you. that's why it's hard to figure out anything It's always true for everybody. But be careful not to embarrass them. They don't like to be embarrassed. They don't like to be singled out. Preach how-to messages right, to relationship, purpose in life, emotional scars and things like that that they have. And you reach them more through the heart than you do through the head. See, just like even Josh McDowell's apologetic, that type of apologetic, that's not the end thing today with kids. I mean, you can sit there, go over 45 minutes, and you think you've absolutely proven the point. doesn't make any difference because he's going to hold what he thinks in contradiction to that even if he did prove the point. So, I'm not saying apologetics is not important to answer questions, but you can't convince people. used to, if you just proved it was right, he would buy it. They won't buy it today even if you do prove it's right, necessarily. They're visual learners. So that's why they, they love video or a little bit of drama or this type of stuff, you know. They don't like just to go in for a 45-minute lecture. Teach them life skills. Stress marriage, the family, offer time and space, communicate your vision. Now, the last thing here, in most older churches, the three generations have to be blended. Mr. McClinic in this book gives nine suggestions to blend the three generations. Get your senior pastor support for one thing. Get the support of the lay leaders. Some of the things you want to do. Help the congregation to see opportunities needs. See, a lot of the older people in the church, um, they can give and help if they see a vision. Say, hey, you know, we've got these kids down here. We need some help in the nursery. Or we need to spend some money on the nursery. And I know your kids are already grown and all that. But we need to, and a lot of times you can get them on your side, helping them to see, hey, we can have a ministry. Otis uh, Willis Show was just telling me what their church has done, just some tremendous things where they've got these groups working together. Help congregations see the opportunities. Need stress biblical concepts of love and acceptance. Establish an alternate worship service or class in which blending can be practiced. That is, all the groups together. Educate the generation so they understand each other. Now, see, this is one thing I think. If you would get a book like this and have people in your church, like we're thinking about doing this in our church, I want people to read about the bus, the the builders, what their strengths are, what influenced them, why they're like they are, what are their characteristics, what they have to offer, how can we minister to them in their old age, and see, I think some of the busters would really get excited. Knowing how they could help some of these these boomers, and we like we one of the fellows in our churches started taking a family group, kind of support group. They all have teenagers, and they're they're talking through the problems they face, and the parents are together, and they meet every other week on a Sunday night. And so the other day they they want to teach their kids to work, and they to, so they go out, these families together, and they rake leaves, uh, in and some of the for some of the widows. And they're beginning to help the kids see, hey, you can have a ministry with some of the older people. And so there's a way in which we have to get them to working together. Now, here's some of the problems you're going to have. Well, let's go and uh, notice here, encourage boomers and busters to take leadership. A lot of times in the church, it's older people have done that. Now, the day's going to come, the church is going to be made up of the boomers and busters, because the builders won't be here. And so... We need to encourage them to take leadership. Now, here are some of the discontents you're going to face. Conflict over worship style. You know, the pace of the service, the brightness of lights. Older people tend to like more soft, a little darker. Well, the new generation wants man of on the light. See? And they also, the new generation, like the loudness of sound. You know, now a lot of the older does, they, they don't like that. The length of service. The formality of the service, the feel of the service, the participation, the type of music. All these things can cause you real conflict because one likes one thing, one likes the other. And so that's one of the difficulties you have. So what do you do? I think over a period of time, you know, some churches have tried two different services, but still, basically, you have two different churches in a sense when you do that. I think sometimes if you went into the adult department and said, folks, And if they read this and understood why they like what they like, let's see, they didn't grow up with rock and roll. I mean, Elvis wasn't here when they were kids, and this sort of thing. And if they understood, that's not necessarily wrong, the fact that they like a beat, then I think a lot of those people would understand and could live with a little bit more lively music. So I think that's one of the things you do. You're going to have to get some of them aside and help them to understand the others. Okay, you're going to have a class on this sermon for. Now, the vertical and horizontal. See, the older people want to hear the gospel, but I want to hear the story one more time how Jesus died on the cross. I mean, I'm serious. That's what they want. The older ones preach the gospel, brother. Now, they've been saved 40 years, but they want to hear the gospel one more time. Now, the younger ones don't. They know, I mean, if they're saved, they know they're saved. And that's not that they're against the gospel and against the cross and all that, but they want to know how does this work? I mean, now that I'm saved, how do I get along with my dad? And boy, he's, he's something else. Or how do I get along with my brother? So they're a little more interested in the horizontal aspects of it, not just hearing the gospel one more time. Does that make sense? Okay. So you're going to, there's a disagreement over the Bible translation. You know, a lot of people like the old King James. Well, most kids today don't want to learn two languages. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> I like the King James. Most of, A lot of the verses I memorized are early days King James. And then I get over oh, You and know, one night I'm sitting around, and I look around, and every kid's got a translation of the King James. So I think, i got to change. I don't like it. You know? messes up your memory and some things. You don't get to review every time you read, but... But, you know, we're going to have to do some changing. Okay? Different views of church. The builders want to protect it. Boy, don't you bring coffee in the auditorium. <laughs> Sanctuary. <laughs> See? I mean, that's holy. I mean, almost. This is, this is God's house. That's, I mean, there's a lot of that mentality with So we don't want to get any carpet. I mean, we don't get any coffee spills on the carpet. Well, the others want to use it. I mean, what's wrong with bringing your coffee into your sermon? Now, maybe we don't want to go that far, but you see what I'm saying? It's a different mentality. we got this church. Let's use it. That's why you use your home. And uh, let's understand priorities. The builder, as I said, they'd give to the foreign mission boards, the boomer and busters. They're more interested in close at home, but they can be made to have an interest in foreign missions. And then the struggle over pastoral care. Boy, you get Miss Susie, and she's been in the church for 40 years, but when her granddaughter had a baby, the pastor didn't come to visit her, but he did when Miss Jones' granddaughter had a baby, you know. And there's that old idea that the pastor is supposed to be there to visit you when you're in the hospital. Now, a lot of the boomers couldn't care less. They would rather their buddies to come, and the busters are that way. I mean, if a pastor probably walked in, they'd be embarrassed. They don't want to necessarily see their pastor when they have an operation. They sure would like to see somebody in their home fellowship. So it's a whole different way the way they look at the pastor. See, yeah. like... The general, for younger pastors uh, is we have the same view. Right. At least I speak right. for myself. And so I'm, I, I believe the church ought to do that. Right. Not me. And... Uh, and so sometimes the old folks get upset because I don't see him enough Right, that's right. And so you have to deal with that. So the guy that wrote this uh, book, Xander, he started the Baby Buster Church out in California, tremendously successful. And when it came time to resign, and he's going to go up and work with Bill Havos at Willow Creek, he thought, if I, he said, if I had gone and, like most pastors, announced the resignation, they'd get a letter and they'd get them read it. It would have devastated. Those kids. Because it's kind of almost like now we've found the Lord. You're our, you're our daddy. You're our spiritual daddy. So you know what he did? He got with all the leaders of their home groups and he explained it to them how God had led, made sure they understand it, let them go explain it to their group, let them all talk it over in the home groups where there's that support. You can ask questions, you can blow off steam if you want to. And then, they all talk it over and then he gets up and announced it wasn't a ripple. But see, the, the way things have to be different. Say, well, we got to announce the pastor's leaving. Well, there's two ways to do it. Upset everybody? It wouldn't have 40 years ago when he announces it that way because that was the way you did it. But you don't do that with busters because they feel forsaken. But if you can talk it over and let them know you love them and how God's led and all this, then it's not as much of a problem. Just different in the way you go about it. And then this disunity over drama and video. A lot of people think bringing drama in the church, well, we're going the entertainment way of the world. Well, not necessarily. A lot of Bill Havels has got a lot of criticism of that. But if you've ever been up there, they don't use drama to communicate the message. They use a drama before he, like if he... He's preaching on marriage. He'll use a little drama. So here's a couple about to get a divorce so that when he stands up to preach, you think he's been reading your mail. gets your attention, and then he preaches the gospel. But a lot of people don't understand that. They think, well, he's gone the way of the world. That's not true at all. So use of drama, video. See, the day may come in the Sunday morning service. You may now have, to have a little video clip from a movie that really illustrated something. I was in a church recently in Houston where that was done. I mean he there was a little video clip and then the guy went on and man it was effective. Because see they enjoy things like that. They're the video generation. You know it's interesting, even like T V so change. There was a time when I was a kid you could get three stations. C B S, NBC and whoever else. That's it. But now you get hundreds of it. Kids, movies, then you get you can go You can choose between a thousand for a video right tonight if you want to in one store. See? And so it's a whole different... They're video. They're very visual in the way they learn. And then contentions over programs. Now, new models. There's a blended model where you take all these. There's a seeker model where you go after one group. There are multiple track models where you may have a service for contemporary and use a guitar. The next one you use an organ. There's that kind. Then there's a satellite model. First Southern's done that. I know... uh, uh, Kirk country is real excited now they meet out at a motel or something so elif preaches over here and then he goes over here and they've started a little satellite the rebirth model that's where you take an old church and try to change it and that's tough I'm in the process of that right now and it's tough okay any, any questions or comments at this point folks this is just a splattering and I know that but I would